Will we consume more and more technologies, or will those same revolutionary technologies consume us? Please join me on this episodic podcast journey that I'm hoping will help us make smarter choices on how technology will impact and arguably change our lives. Hi, this is Ralph, and welcome to this ninth episode of Technology Evolutions and Revolutions. Look to the past to better see the future. In our last episode, we talked about AI, machine learning, and neural networks, and at a very high level, how they worked. Connecting the dots to all of the past episodes, I'm hoping you'll be able to see the evolution of technology from the early days of data entry and processing and reporting to the changes of the fourth industrial revolution in the digital age. And of course, we're only at the very beginning of the digital age. So let's now look at significant differences of those new technologies, at least the ones we know about today, how we got here, and where those new technologies may take us. One of the key points made in previous episodes was how each of these new technologies are purposefully related to each other. Maybe another way of saying that is that each of these technologies are part of something larger than just the sum of their parts. To illustrate my point here, once again, I have to take you back to the past in order to see the defining trajectory that technology is taking us on. So, in the early days of the discipline then known as data processing, our only way of capturing data was manually. A person had to capture it. In those early days, this was done by people who read information from written reports and using a data capturing device called a key punch, captured that data on cardstock through a series of punched holes, hence key punch. There was something called the Hollerith code, which was a code for relating alphanumeric characters to holes in a punch card that was then machine readable. For those history buffs out there, the Hollerith code was devised by Herman Hollerith way back in 1888 and enabled the letters of the alphabet and the digits 0 through 9 to be encoded by a combination of punches in 12 rows of a card. Each card contained 80 columns, each column with 12 rows. So can you picture a card with 80 columns and 12 rows, 3.5 inches by 5 inches of manila stock? Wow. You could capture 80 characters on a card, so you can imagine entering a good amount of data required many, many cards. And more to my point here, this data capture was often prone with data input errors. Some were easily discovered, some were not. The slogan, garbage in, garbage out, was a popular slogan at the time and indicative of the frustration that many of us had back then with information accuracy. To be sure, the human capture of data was error-prone indeed. When I first started in information systems, as it was called back in the 70s, I wrote programs by sitting at a key-punch machine and keying lines of code onto a 3.5 by 5-inch card, many of them. The cards were then fed into a card reader that interpreted the holes as alphanumeric characters that the computer then fed into a compiler to produce the object code that the computer actually ran. Archaic, isn't it? 
In my early days, I worked for an organization that shall remain unnamed, and for a boss that, with no qualifying background, was put in charge of the programming department. The way this guy decided to evaluate the productivity of the programming staff was to count how many cards or lines of code each of us produced in a week. He would make up some artificial number of required lines of code that each programmer should produce, and if he hit the mark, regardless of how good your code was, you got Saturday mornings off. Well, suffice it to say that many of us needing that Saturday morning off would just write whatever superfluous lines of code necessary to make his number. He got on to this after a while and got smarter about it, but we did get our revenge in the end. You see, what the card-punching device actually did was punch a hole in one of the 80 columns in 12 rows, and the material from the hole, the chad, fell into a collection bin. So on one rainy Saturday morning when we were all made to come to work, I took the bin of chads, think small confetti, and dumped it in his umbrella and neatly folded the umbrella back up. And you can imagine what happened when he left for the day and walked out into the rain, raised his umbrella, and opened it. Our revenge for having to work Saturday mornings. Fortunately, my fellow programmers had my back, and after listening to his outrage, he finally got the message. No more Saturday morning work hours. Point made. Hey, sorry for that diversion. Just trying to bring some color into this story. Anyway, over the years, the punch card and the hollow earth code gave way to different data input terminals where you could capture and display those 24 rows of 80 characters each, the cathode ray tube, the green screen. Having the visual of a screen greatly improved data input errors, but there were still many. Sometime in the late 80s or early 90s, the World Wide Web came into existence and the old green screen of 80 by 24 gave way to a more graphic representation of a web browser. Data input became more intuitive as web applications prompted the user and provided for significant data capture improvements. As data capture became more reliable, so did the data in the data repositories or databases, if you will. So let me pause here and ask you a question. Do you think that we spent a lot of money and a lot of effort just to take information that was previously on paper and stored in file cabinets and then digitize that information only to be stored in a computer system storage media? Or do you think that the end goal was more about processing and interpreting that data to understand trends perform statistical analysis, gaining business intelligence and the like. Obviously, the latter was the end goal, but for decades we have been prone to the same human data capture errors and anomalies. And to the degree that the data is not accurate, not clean if you will, is to the same degree that decisions based on that data analysis are askew. Throughout the episodes of this podcast, I've pointed out some of my pet peeves, my frustrations on how things have evolved or not evolved with technology. So I need to pause here to point out yet another one. Relative to the error-prone data capture by humans, 
I cannot believe that in this day and age, the way that humans interact with computers is, for the most part, through the same keyboard and mouse that we've been using since the 80s. Systems have gotten faster and smarter. Artificial intelligence is evolving at an unprecedented rate. And while we consume more information on a daily basis than ever before, the capturing of that data at its source is still the keyboard and mouse, and I guess the touchscreen, which is just another form of a mouse. This is unbelievable to me. Now, having said that, we are making good progress on voice recognition, and I believe that will continue. But I want to be able to think of what I want to say and what thought I want to convey, and I want the computer to interpret my thoughts and interact with me, even coach me to convey clarity of thought and of mind. Too much to ask for? Well, some good work is being done in this area, but it's in its early stages to be sure. And to my point, until we get past the keyboard and mouse, the data that we collect through human input will be prone to error. Errors may become more minimal, but prone to error nevertheless. And the decisions, analysis, trending, intelligence gathered from that data will be in error as well. It'll be good, but not great. Okay, so with this brief look back through the history of data capture and allowing me to voice my discontent with the lack of advancement of the human interface, let's look at the future of data capture and why I believe it's a game changer. I believe one of the biggest game changers for data capture are the IoT devices, machine sensors that capture real-time data and send it upstream for processing. No human interface, no keyboards, no mouse, just pure and clean data captured at its source and transmitted upstream for processing. Then processed by machine learning algorithms and neural networks into patterns that teach AI algorithms to learn, to produce quantifiable and actionable outcomes. So I say again, this is a very big deal. Interpreting and analyzing clean data absent of human intervention. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, for commercial and business purposes, it aligns perfectly with the promises of the fourth industrial revolution. By the way, if you haven't been following these podcast episodes or not following them sequentially, check out Episode 3, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. It's the most listened to episode by far. If IoT devices can sense who is consuming a given product or service, or how they're consuming it, then it changes the whole marketing paradigm, doesn't it? Depending on what you're consuming... I could then market you other products and services that might also appeal to your interest or needs. This in turn changes how I might deliver products and services to the marketplace based on how my products and services are being consumed, right? It's a business model disruption that uses technology, in this example, IoT, to change how products and services are delivered, how they're consumed, and who consumes them. All of this positions a company for top-line business growth. And if you think beyond the business model disruption, IoT devices may be part of the equation to improve 
medical outcomes or drug treatment plans or bank loan approvals or insurance premiums, and the list goes on and on. I'm hoping scientists use some of these technologies to shorten the time it takes to develop, test, and deliver a vaccine to the masses. I mean, it has to. We simply can't shut down the economy of the world every time a new virus threatens us. Anyway, there are many, many more use scenarios for IoT devices, and my point here is that IoT devices remove the error-prone human interface from the equation, collecting clean and accurate data to be acted upon by upstream intelligence like machine learning, neural networks, and AI. So let's take this discussion upstream, all the way to artificial intelligence, AI. Let's talk about the possibilities of AI near-term and long-term, when now having the advantage of analyzing and learning from clean, IoT-originated data. Please join me in the next episode, where we'll take a closer look at AI and how it may influence our lives and the society in which we live. Until then, stay well and take care of each other.